Welcome to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. I'm Gardner Goldstein. Free Talk Live. The Liberty Conspiracy, which streams every Monday through Friday live starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Rumble, Rockfin, and on my Twitter slash X feed, that being at Guard Goldsmith. You can also find the show anytime after the fact on any of those platforms. And if you're looking for textual information, head over to my Substack, that being the Gardner Goldsmith Substack, and every Sunday you'll receive the Sunday News Assembly. At least 20 stories pertaining to individual liberty plus expanded contextual information that helps draw out long-lasting lessons that can help us expand the purview and the number of people who believe in freedom. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. Let's get started. But let's find out what's in store, everybody, tonight on the program. The news flash. it's from D.C., from New Hampshire to D.C. to you. And no, we're not going to be stopping by that weird underground Hasidic Jewish uh, network of tunnels and stuff in New York. I don't know what the deal is with that, but uh, I can't really tell you too much about it. It's just bizarre. But there are some anecdotal stories that will discuss just me talking to you. Won't break it down by reading the articles, things like that. A couple things that I can give to you from New Hampshire going down to Washington, D.C., straight to you. So we'll do that. And then after we go from that news flash, we'll talk about the German farm and energy protests as they widen. And we're not talking about Biden, but in a way, we will widen it to talk about Biden. And uh, hopefully I won't be rhyming that clunkily throughout the rest of the program. But we are going to talk about the German farm and energy protests getting larger. Protesters in Poland now joining the German farmers and uh, the reaction to one politician as he came out to say hi. Yeah, I think you can guess how well that turned out. Uh, Then we're going to be discussing our second major issue, the U.S. climate cultist. That's where we widen it into Biden. And how they keep on chanting. Yes, their ritualism continues. And they keep taking your money. You're the one being sacrificed for their climate god. Welcome to the Aztec Pyramid, my friends. Then, talking about sacrifices, we'll talk about the man who loves to sacrifice dogs and us on his altar of technology and scientism Anthony Fauci, and who earned, you know, 400 grand a year for many years doing it. And now we get to pay his retirement. Yes, the liar extraordinaire testified and strangely couldn't recall or at least said that he couldn't recall 100 plus times today down at D.C., I know, I know you were expecting great things, weren't you? I know we were, you and I, peas in a pod. Must be our mRNA. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Must be our DNA. We must share DNA. That that's what it is, right? We got injected with that gullibility thing. <laughs> I think that's what I hear now. EcoHealth Alliance is working on a new serum. It's called gullibility. Make sure you take it. <laughs> It'll work on anything. It's a new gullibility shot. It works against gullibility 2019. Uh, sorry, covability 2019. And you just get your eighth shot of gullibility, and the next one will definitely work. 
I always love it. it reminds me of those self-help books. You know, those, those, those books that we used to, when I worked at the bookstore, we had this whole section of self-help stuff and they were, they were almost always the same. It was, you know, it was like, you know, the, the break the such and such cycle, break the such and such, do this, do that, improve your life, blah, 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 you know? And uh, so I was, I just thought it'd be really funny to have a series of books called break the self-help book cycle, how you can do it. Volume one. <laughs> Just and there's nothing actually in volume one. You got to get volume two because <laughs> the people were addicted to the self help books. They just kept buying the self help books. It's like I'll tell you what. I'll write a book about how to break buying the self help book cycle. I'll break that habit for you. Just make sure you buy the next book. It's in that one. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, we'll talk a little bit about what uh, the uh, AARP is recommending on number four. Yeah, I think you can guess if you hadn't already seen it. Yes, they are recommending more jabs. <laughs> okay, and then we'll talk about the jabs that the courts are and uh, and governments are giving us regarding gun rights. So welcome to the program, everybody. It's great to have you here on this ninth day of January, and I really appreciate you being here. I see that Andrew is there, Max B is there, Harry Hart is there, Taylor Saunders is there, and they are in Rockfinville. Don't go back to Rockville. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of that R.E.M. song. Not a fan of a lot of R.E.M. songs. Uh, Possum King. Oh, man, I'm so glad you're there. This is cool. And, yeah, you know, we, we got a couple minutes late start because uh, Rumble recycled on me as I was putting the streaming codes in, and I had to go back through it. So you probably see this, like the picture of, of Darren McGavin's Kolchak close-up on, on Darren McGavin just because I wasn't able to input the, the proper picture. It was all in, and then I had to redo it. So, Possum Game, thanks for being there. Spread the word if you're watching, folks. Really appreciate it. He says, I hope the German protests erupt everywhere, especially here. Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah, we'll show you a little uh, time, little little memory going back to uh, the Canadian trucker protests and something that happened just over the past 24 hours to a pretty well-known Canadian reporter, and uh, it's not good, of course. <laughs> it's the government. What do you expect? They're doing it to somebody, and he's a reporter who has reported very fairly for the viewers and very fairly for truth, but government don't like that up in Canada, I guess. That's right. So, everybody, thanks for joining us. Remember, if you get the opportunity, go to my Substack, and every Sunday you'll find the Sunday News Assembly. A couple of those stories, uh, I haven't even gotten a touch yet about Nikki Haley and the dumb things that she's had to say, but maybe we'll be able to get into some of those. I've got a couple stories that I wanted to touch last night regarding the jab dangers, uh, some of those uh, Southern Hemisphere studies and the extrapolation, the very logical extrapolation people have done on the correlations on deaths that now show that uh, it, it very clearly seems to be a connected ratio of um the number of jabs that you get and the worse your uh, the worse your your immune system becomes and the more likely you are of uh, of uh, having problems. Uh, they seem to be very, very well connected. So the more jabs you get, the lower your uh, protection and uh, the worse your body goes, the worse your body becomes as you acquire an autoimmune system. And at the same time, many people can't fight outside immune 
challenges. It's uh, not a good situation. That is probably one of the worst possible things you could ever have. Your immune system attacking your own body, but at the same time, having a lower capacity to fight foreign viruses or maybe viruses, you know, created by people with our tax money. Oh, yes, indeed. One and all. You got to love it. So let's get right to it, everybody. Let's talk about what's first up as we hit. You know what? Yes? Oh, hello. Uh, hello. We're Mary's parents. Oh, well, come on in, fellas. Hold it a second. Mary's parents burned to death last year. Wait a minute. I know you guys. You're from the news flash. What's on tap, one and all? Well, we got Spinal Tap. Stop wasting that time. You know what I want. You know what I need. Oh, maybe you don't. Do I have to come right back out and tell you everything? Give me some money. Oh, yeah, baby. Way to go, Spinal Tap. I love that. I I still get a kick out of that Ed Bagley Jr. thing because he's clearly not even doing anything on the drums in a couple of the shots. They intentionally did it that way. And it's really, really funny. I love how Michael McKeon does this sort of like crossed eye thing. Oh, man, that is one heck of a funny movie. And to think that I didn't learn until later that the way they went about it was they just sort of set up the general scenes and they often ad libbed the stuff. And they knew the starting point and the end point, and they would ad lib to get from the start to the end point for each scene. Very, very good. Wow, amazing. So we got the news coming to you from New Hampshire to the rest of you. Let me give you what's been going on in New Hampshire on a couple fronts. Uh, First, of course, the very, very cool people of the 10th Amendment Center offer us this report. I'll enlarge it for you. New Hampshire bill would treat gold and silver as money. One of numerous states moving in this direction. Some have already gone that way. Some people go both ways, as the scarecrow says. But here it is out of Concord. This happened at the end of December. A bill filed in New Hampshire House would make gold and silver legal tender in the state, which would increase currency competition and set the stage for people there to undermine the Federal Reserve's monopoly on money. Cool stuff. I dig it. Representative Keith Ammon, a friend of mine and five co-sponsors, filed House Bill 1674 on December 15th. As legal tender, gold and silver would be, quote, recognized to pay private debts, taxes and fees levied by the state of New Hampshire or any local subdivisions, as Rush would say, thereof. Under the proposed law, specie would be defined as bouillon fabricated into products of uniform shape, size, design, content, weight, and purity that are suitable 
for or customarily used as currency as a medium of exchange or as the medium for purchase, sale, storage, transfer, or delivery of precious metals in retail or wholesale transactions. Another point here that Michael Meharry, the great Michael Meharry, he also does a lot of writing for Shift Gold, of course, so check out Shift Gold. Uh, Michael writes, specie legal tender would be defined as specie coin issued by the United States government at any time and any other specie designated by the state treasurer as legal tender pursuant to the monetary authority not prohibited by Article 1, Section 10 of the United States Constitution. So very big deal. And of course, the Constitution requires the states to only accept silver or gold coinage as payment for state debts. The rest of this isn't necessarily needed. Uh, We can make our own arrangements, whether it's on the white market, gray market or black market, about what we'll accept for our legal tender between us, according to natural law. But according to the Constitution, this is something that really shouldn't be necessary, but they're doing it anyway. And it's a nice little slap in the face of the United States government and in the face of the Federal Reserve. So just to give you a quick follow up here, passage into law would make New Hampshire the fifth state to recognize gold and silver as legal tender. Utah led the way, reestablishing constitutional money in 2011. Wyoming, Oklahoma and Arkansas have since joined. Very cool. I dig it. I dig it. I dig it. There's a little bit more here. And I'll share a little bit of this with you because, of course, they're going to start up a bullion depository, which would be run by the state. So that is also a big deal because the state can use that in paying off its debts, which is the only way it's supposed to pay off its debts. That was one of the problems they had during the Articles of Confederation. The states were paying off with inflated fiat currency. And in some cases, especially around Massachusetts, where, of course, they had some skirmishes after the um, after the um, uh, revolution, uh, because they were paying off the so-called war debts of Massachusetts with inflated currency. But they were demanding for taxes, silver and gold. And so obviously they were uh, ripping people off. And so uh, here we'll see a couple things very quickly that Michael covers that are also part of this HB 1674. Bouillon shall not be characterized as personal property for taxation or regulatory purposes. That's a very, very big deal. So gold and silver bouillon would be excluded from taxation. Not bad. Because, of course, New Hampshire doesn't have an income tax. It has property taxes that are handled by the by the by the towns. So this would prohibit a property tax on your gold or bullion as property. That's a big deal. The exchange of one type or form of legal tender for another type or form or legal of legal tender shall not give rise to any tax liability. So if you're exchanging it inside a bank or you want to exchange it for bitcoin or other crypto that differential won't be considered some sort of 
property tax gain or anything like that, or an income tax. Of course, they don't have an income tax in New Hampshire. The purchase or sale of any type or form of bullion shall not give rise to any tax liability. Those are very, very big deals, everybody, especially in New Hampshire, because by doing this, it opens up some questions as to whether or not it will stick with the New Hampshire tradition of not having an income tax. That's very, very big. Also, writes Mike Meharry, the legislation also includes changes to the state tax code and contract law that would make it easier for businesses in the state to operate using the functional currency of their choice. Practically speaking, these provisions would allow New Hampshireites to use gold or silver in both physical and electronic form as money rather than just as mere investment vehicles. In effect, it would put gold and silver on the same footing as Federal Reserve notes. The effect has been most dramatic in Utah, where the legal tender law opened the door for the development of a gold and silver market in the state. And it has been very successful. With some legal hurdles cleared away by the state, the United Precious Metal Association, UPMA, in partnership with Alpine Gold Exchange, set up the state's first gold bank. The Utah Specie Legal Tender Act has also led to the creation of Goldbacks, a local voluntary medium of exchange. And of course, you can get those. Contact Tony Arterburn and others are buying and selling them. Goldbacks are notes made from fractions of an ounce of physical gold. The company created a process that turns pure gold into a spendable physical form for small transactions. And there's a lot more, but I wanted to give you that nice update from New Hampshire. I thought that that was very worthwhile. Check out the 10th Amendment Center. I will retweet this right now so that if you're looking for the story, you can find it right away. I tweeted it a little bit earlier today, but if you're watching just now and you want to grab it, go for it. It's right out there. And now I want to give you a little bit of uh, weird news from New Hampshire. Um, you might have heard about this. Uh, the let me let me give it to you as the headline reads it, and then I'll sort of just sort of riff on my own on this thing. Okay, so here's the headline: New Hampshire's Attorney General fires off cease and desist letter to DNC over deceptive comments on the primary. So what's the deal? What's the word, Thunderbird, you might say? Uh, well, all right. So Joe Biden isn't on the ballot for the primary for the Democrats. And it has to do with South Carolina. And so part of the whole thing with South Carolina is uh, he promised them to give them more attention for their primary than New Hampshire, essentially negating himself, even he knew he was pretty much a shoe in And so he pulled himself, his team pulled Biden off the Democrat ballot, and that would give more attention to the South Carolina primary. New Hampshire has a statute that says it has to be a certain number of days before any state's primary that might they might try to front load before New Hampshire. So New Hampshire is constantly dancing around trying to get in front of things like South Carolina. And there's always this give and take. Well, the DNC got involved. And so let me give you this uh, this little bit. Now that I've riffed a little bit, here's the story. 
of a not-so-lovely lady called the DNC. Let me enlarge it for you here. New Hampshire's Republican Attorney General, and think about this now. Again, it has to do with the primary, right? So think about this. And there's another something involved with this, too, that goes back a couple years now. Uh, And it has to do with the courts. New Hampshire's Republican Attorney General is taking aim at the Democrat National Committee for what he argues are false, deceptive, and misleading comments about the state's first-in-the-nation presidential primary. So they're very, very protective of this, okay? And um, one of the things about New Hampshire is that, you know, it's got to be first, that whole thing. And I actually have heard... Uh, there's a guy named Jim Browdy, who's a commentator from Boston Radio, and he's a very big time collectivist. And he was up in New Hampshire a while ago covering one of the primaries. They had their radio show up here at that time. There was a, an FM station called 96.9 FM Talk, and he was one of the hosts, along with this woman named Marjorie Egan, and they were on midday. So they were doing their show, and I happened to be there towards the end. And he said, you know, Marjorie, I don't understand this. You know, you've got New Hampshire, this tiny group of people. They have such sway over the way the rest of the, the things will go for the, for the rest of the country, for the election. They have such political power over the way everything goes. So I said, hey, Jim, do you ever think about your support for collectivism and central command and control structures that you like to see in your state house and in Washington, D.C.? I see that now... You don't seem to like that. Where's the balance there, dude? I don't understand. I thought you liked small groups of people making decisions for everybody else. He's like, oh, that's a different story. I'm like, oh, it is, is it? Well, maybe you could amplify on that. Oh, we got to go to commercial. Oh, okay. Have a nice day, Jim. So here's more on the New Hampshire story from Russia with love and longtime state Democrat Party chair Ray Buckley reacting to Monday's move by state attorney general John Formella emphasized that, quote, it's safe to say in New Hampshire, where most baseball fans support the Boston Red Sox and despise the rival New York Yankees, the DNC is less popular than the New York Yankees. There's a lot more coming up with Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. With fees of less than a penny per transaction, Dash is made for spending. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month for this sponsorship. It's easy to get and use Dash. You can learn more at Dash.org. That's Dash.org. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by that treasury. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first nearly a decade ago. 
Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. Free Talk Live. Welcome to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. I'm Gardner Goldsmith, the creator of the Liberty Conspiracy, which can be seen and heard every Monday through Friday, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Rumble, Rockman, and on my Twitter slash X feed, that being at Gard Goldsmith. So here's more of the New Hampshire story from Russia with love. And longtime state Democrat Party Chair Ray Buckley reacting to Monday's move by State Attorney General John Formella emphasized that, quote, it's safe to say in New Hampshire, where most baseball fans support the Boston Red Sox and despise the rival New York Yankees, the DNC is less popular than the New York Yankees. That's the Democrat National Party, not the New Hampshire Party. So he's taking the side of New Hampshire in a way here. Now, Secretary of State of New Hampshire Formella cited a January 5th letter sent to Ray Buckley of the New Hampshire Democrat Party by the National DNC's Rules and Bylaws Committee, which oversees the party's nominating calendar, telling the state party chair, this is a letter that the the National sent to the state party chair, Ray Buckley, to inform local Democrats that New Hampshire's upcoming presidential primary, which is in violation of the National Party's 2024 nominating calendar, is, quote, meaningless, end quote. The state attorney general said calling the primary meaningless violates New Hampshire voter suppression laws. <laughs> It's classic. It's classic. Isn't somebody serving like multiple years just for making a meme? What was that dude's name? I wrote it down. Mackey, right? Was that his name? Mr. Mackey? Was it because he wrote a meme like telling people like, oh, you can vote online. You know, it's clearly fake. And they, they sent them to jail. You can vote online for Hillary. Just, you know, log on to this website or something like that. He's going to jail. It's where's where's the standard jim jim browdy well let's go to commercial we can't talk about that wait hold on i don't understand how can a guy go to jail for making a comic meme about the election and yet the dnc can do this in new hampshire and they seem to think it's totally fine i thought they didn't like that kind of thing (laughs) now they're engaging in it And here's a little backdrop. Democrats for years have knocked both Iowa, whose caucuses kicked off both major parties nominating calendars for five decades, and New Hampshire as unrepresentative of the party as a whole, because the state has a largely white population with few major urban areas. So what? Maybe the major urban areas have massive sway later on and the tiny, tiny suburban and countrified enclaves deserve some representation. How does that all work? I don't know, because I don't support the state. 
Oh, man. And I think it's pretty darn funny because, again, it's within a club. It's a club telling people to do something. It's not a general election. It's a club. So if you want to go vote for the club, for the club to nominate somebody, why should the state be involved? Right? The party does its stuff. The state shouldn't have anything to do with it. Don't use my tax money to figure out how the Democrats are going to do their their party club vote. And don't do the, do that for Republicans, right? So this whole thing about trying to keep Trump off the ballot in Maine and Colorado, what? why should taxpayers have anything to do with what the club is going to produce as their nomination for anything? It's not voter suppression at all. It's a club. It's not the general election, for God's sake. Why do people look at this stuff? Oh, we got to have our vote inside a school. At least in Iowa, they do it in people's houses. You know, they have coffee, they hang out, they sit in their chairs, you know, throw some darts. I don't know. Maybe they do it in those weird basement tunnels or something that they have in Iowa. I'm sorry. No, sorry. That was New York. I don't know. I I don't know what the deal is. I wonder what Jerry Nadler thinks of that. Maybe he can do his funky shimmy in, in one of those tunnels. It's just so stupid. It's just ridiculous. But it is a pretty big deal in New Hampshire. I got to tell you, it's it's out of control. And uh, I did want to mention, however, I do think there is quite a double standard there. You know, the way the Democrats are operating. It's, it's, it's actually whacked out. So I'm going to remove that tab. And allow my uh, my computer to move along a little bit better. But I want to now turn to a little something else here. And um, for that, we're going to need another theme in our flash. And this is probably going to round off the flash, everybody. I want to give you, of course, one of my one of my favorite shows that I watched all of like once. You know what it is. We're going to go to the courtrooms, everybody. And no, it's not Perry Mason. It is. Hey, how'd you like that, huh? I was on base on that. Maybe not. Classic, just classic stuff, Law and Order. Oh man, I wish I could play bass. I wish I could play bass at all. <laughs> all right, so what is in store for our Law and Order stuff? Well, first, I want to mention this. Um, I am going to be covering what you saw yesterday at the end of the show. Who is that man? Who are those people? And what is that Funker Duncan 1950s looking spaceshipy thing? And what is that? Well, we'll talk about that when it comes to the courts, sort of, coming up, I wish. And now we're going to go with this section of the program. Meanwhile, in D.C. and the courts. So I'm going to open this up. I'm actually going to let one guy handle it pretty darn well. He's a guy who... Uh, worked worked as a journalist in Boston for years, covering the mafia, the FBI, uh, the Irish mafia, and Whitey Bulger had a hit out on him. They wanted to kill him by loading C4 into a basketball and putting it near his car. Uh, 
he had to get uh he he got he he got surgery one time he woke up and there was an irish mafia guy over his hospital bed with a knife and and uh he is of course howie carr and he's going to give us the latest up to datest about the incredibly harsh sentence and you can figure this out yourself i don't know i just don't know of ray epps plus a little something else that you might find, regardless of whether you're a fan of Donald Trump or not, uh, you might find it a little sketchy when it comes to one of the courtroom dramas of Donald Trump. Uh, let's check this out. And no, it's not about Trump himself, and it's not about the Epstein stuff, none of which can be substantiated. They claim there are these videos, there are these claims from different people, and, you know, I don't see any evidence or anything like that. So, you know, whatever. Um, I don't think we're ever going to see the evidence. Uh, and by the way, you know, those videos, the Epstein videos that people have been talking about from all these different buildings. Uh, I mentioned in a text to a friend last night who texted me about that. I said, hey, you know, uh, I, I would think that Epstein, if you were at it long enough and he was smart enough, he would have multiple copies of those things. So I don't think that those those videos, if they were confiscated out of the New York building, um, I don't think that they're the only copies of these things, unless he was really lazy and sloppy. You know, I don't know. Maybe he was, uh, but uh, I don't think so. But let's let's first go to the Ray Epps stuff. Then we'll talk about Donald Trump and some of the other courtroom drama stuff regarding Trump that has nothing to do with the Epps stuff. So here is uh, nothing to do with the uh, Epstein stuff. Here is the Epps story with a very unique take from a guy who understands pretty darn well uh, the way that the feds can cover stuff up because, of course, he covered the FBI and its relationship with the mafia. Very cozy one here in, near Boston. Breaking news. You know what I always say in the halls of justice, the only justice is in the halls. Today, Ray Epps. Remember him from January 6th? Fed, fed. Fed. If you ask a cop if he's a cop, he's like obligated to tell you. It's in the Constitution. <laughs> he got probation. Yep. He was there for two days. He was screaming and inciting riots, fomenting sedition and insurrection. And today, a uh, a a uh, an Obama stooge, James Bozberg, the judge, gave him. Probation. Pro. He didn't even have to come to I'm court. Shocked, shocked. He didn't have to come to court. Trump was in court today in that very same courthouse in D.C. And this guy fed, fed, fed as they as they chanted. He denies it. He got he got big write ups in uh, the New York Times in, in 60 minutes because because he was such a big Trump guy, obviously, because they always give him pop pieces and sob stories to, to Trump guys. And uh, they, they said, oh, well, he was he was free. He, he was, you know, that was terrible what Tucker Carlson and Fox News did them. So today he got probation. Remember the guy that the guy from the Proud Boys, the, the black guy, Enrique, Enrique, Henry Enrique Torrio. He was in Baltimore at the time. They even said that in the press release, the feds, that he, he observed what was happening from a faraway place. I wouldn't call Baltimore a faraway place, but it was not in the District of Columbia. And they gave him 22 years. He wasn't there. 
Epps was there on January 5th and January 6th, fomenting the crowd of insurrectionists, as they called them. And he gets probation, and the black guy gets 22 years. And by the way, his uh, his white co-conspirators got respectively 10, 15, 17, and 18 years. And they did less than Ray Epps. But but he was he's on the level. You could trust him. He's not like the others. He's he's not a Fed. Not a Fed. He, How about the one guy? Go in, go in, get in there, everybody. Epps, get in there. Go, go, go. Nothing happens to him. What happened with him? Nothing happens. <laughs> what do you mean nothing happens? He got probation. He had to he had to fire up his computer, his laptop, to get on Zoom to be there. Can you imagine that? You you start with it. They said this is the worst thing since uh, Pearl Harbor, 9-11, and Fort Sumter combined. And don't don't forget to remember the main. <laughs> and, and he doesn't even have to show up in court to get probation. Wow. But everything's, you know, everything's on the level. Just remember that. Don't ever forget that. You know, blind justice. Blind. 844 so that's the uh, that's that's one of the stories but i think the the bigger we knew that that was coming but this was really a surprise this uh this fanny it was to me anyway to fanny willis she's the uh, daughter of a black panther and she's just this uh, rabid democrat operative a uh, george soros i think she, i don't know if she was paid for by george soros but she she acts like a george soros plant like a larry krasner or a fox or you know or uh, or or a gascon and uh, so she's down in fulton county which is atlanta and she's indicted trump and all these other people 17 18 people well yesterday one of the uh, one of the co-defendants, a guy named Mike Roman, he's just a political operative for Trump. He uh, his lawyers filed a, a motion tra- trying to throw the the indictment out, and the, the reason is that uh, you know uh, apparently the, the allegation in the uh, in the complaint is that uh, Fannie Willis, the prosecutor that she's appointed to uh, to to bring these. Uh, these 17, 18 people before the bar of justice, as, as it were. Uh, you know, I'm trying to keep a straight face as I say that. That's her boyfriend. She's paid this guy $654,000. He, she hired him when the, he was married and they were having an affair. And they've, uh, they've gone, they've gone according to, uh, according to the, uh, the filing, uh, he has he has used the money to take Willis on lavish vacations to quote Napa Valley, California, Florida, and the Caribbean. Unquote. It's the only way to fly. <laughs> so is it safe to say that uh, this this uh, this this lawyer by the name of Nathan Wade was he going around the world with Fanny? I threw on my scarf here because I thought I might be feeling the chill from Fanny if she's watching the show. She might be a little uh, little upset. Now, let me give you some details on that, folks, uh, just to, to give you a quick update. This is from USA Today's Josh Meyer. Uh, the headline is Trump, Georgia co-defendant alleges DA Fanny F. 
A-N-I, Willis, had improper relationship with a prosecutor. So uh, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis hired an alleged romantic partner. Now, remember, remember what they're investigating here, because there's so many different cases and stuff against Trump and all this nonsense. You know, who knows? It's just ridiculous. And and again, I don't know whether uh, a lot of this is is pre pre-planned and packaged and uh, put out there for public consumption because they want to promote Trump as being the underdog and the guy who's got all the people against him. And they want to raise up uh, and inflame tensions between the pro-Trump people and the Democrats. I don't know whether this is mainly being driven or all being driven because the Dem- Democrats fear Trump and they honestly are trying to keep him off the ballot and so on. I don't know how many of them honestly think that these stupid arguments about Trump and inciting some sort of insurrection or anything like that. They actually believe that nonsense. But within this, there are some people who have been brought up on charges and these charges could see them get in a lot of trouble. Donald Trump, I don't know what to make of that guy, but there are other people connected with this. And this is one of these cases that uh, it's very curious because this this particular defendant is saying, now, hold on a second. This guy's name is Michael Roman. And it says here, Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, that's down in Georgia, hired an alleged romantic partner to lead the Atlanta prosecution of former President Donald Trump and 18 others on election conspiracy charges and improperly financially benefited from that relationship tainting the entire case, according to a new court filing by one of Trump's co-defendants. The 127-page motion was filed Monday by a lawyer for longtime Trump associate Michael Roman, who was indicted for his alleged role as a campaign official in trying to help Trump overturn the Georgia election in 2020 after President Joe Biden's victory in the state. The motion seeks to dismiss the charges against Roman on the grounds that they are fatally defective. The filing by Roman's attorney, Ashley Merchant, argues. It also seeks to disqualify Willis, the entire Fulton County District Attorney's Office, and the special prosecutor, Nathan Wade, because the two, quote, have been engaging in an improper, clandestine, personal relationship during the the dependency of this case. And that brings me to another quick update. Not even going to bring this this one up on the screen, but I just have to mention, some of you might have heard about Bob Menendez. Yes, yes, he just can't get enough of making a fool of himself. Bob Menendez got up today on the Senate floor and defended himself against these corruption charges, you know, the gold bars, the payoffs from the Saudis, him and his wife, that whole thing out of New Jersey. He said, I didn't do anything different than what everybody in the Senate and the House essentially engages in in the first place. And I got to say, when when you when when a society reaches a point i don't want to sound too preachy here but you know i mean you can't help it sometimes when you're talking about this sort of political stuff you try to laugh about it but 
it is partially preaching, I guess, right? It is partially, you know, judging people or whatever. You know, it's it's not uh, do, uh, do not judge others. It's don't judge others unless you are willing to be judged by others, right? So I'm a victim of government aggression. I think it's okay for me to judge. And that's the point that I'd like to make, which is, you know, in a way, Menendez sort of, curves around towards the truth there because they're all a gaggle of thieves that's what they are they the only way their salaries are paid is through the aggression of government so in a way what we're talking about here is one thief getting up there and saying well i engaged in what you say is bad behavior but you all take payoffs from different organizations and special interests and things like that. Sure, you might announce these things. Now, all we have to do is, again, I'll try to show you that thing over the next couple of days. Look at uh, the incredible, incredible ways that so many congressmen and senators outpace the stock market by, you know, like a hundredfold. Um, the, these people not only work very closely with the special interest. They're supposed to report these things or whatever, but the reporting doesn't really do very much, right? They're, they're, these are corporations and international interests that are involved in trying to rent-seek. We saw that the Speaker of the House got nearly $100,000 from Jewish PACs and stuff like that. So, of course, one of the first things he's going to do is support this idea of criticizing the state policies of Israel as somehow being critical of ethnically or religiously Jewish people. It's just insane. It's so stupid, right? But it's amazing because really, over the large scale of this whole thing, this whole thing actually it does remind us to pull back a little bit once in a while and say, yeah, you know what? This entire system is corrupt. You know, it's like Al Pacino. I'm out of order. You're out of order. This whole court's out of order. Right. Well, what was the name of that movie? I can't even remember. He was like a, it's like a lawyer or something on trial. Um, that is actually kind of an important thing to remember. So Menendez sort of swerves into the reality of the state, which is, yeah, it's just a bunch of blackguards, a bunch of criminals who are up there taking our money. And I have to say, I use that term. And yet at the same time, I know some of the people who are going in there, they're thinking they're doing the right thing. Thomas Massey is out there and they're trying to reduce the power of the state. So I have to sort of couch that a little bit. But the system itself is immoral. So within the immoral system, you have a guy whose manifest immorality is even higher. And he's saying, you know, you're all kind of doing this. Of course, he's not really drawing attention to the deeper long-term moral lesson, which is that that is the nature of the state. It's not just the relationship that the people have with the special interests who might be bringing them money. It's the fact that they claim the power to take our money. That's the thievery, right? And in fact, the payoffs that they get from these people that they don't necessarily announce, at least those people who are giving them the money are doing it voluntarily for their own purposes, whether it's to help their business because they don't want to be harmed by the government or it's to help their business because they want a special favor from the government. It works both ways when the government has that sort of power, right? You can rent seek for a positive to try to get a special niche cut out by the government to block your competition or whatever. But in a way, you might want to influence the government for your own defense, right? And they shake people down all the time that way. 
they'll make all sorts of threats and then they'll be like, well, you know, we could do something about this if you just helped us with our election. We could probably stop that. We could revise that. We could amend that proposal and it would be okay for you. They do it all the time. They do it all the time. Or as Liz Warren has done throughout her career, they help write legislation that they know that when they're outside of the political sphere, that they know they will then be able to help corporations navigate. So then they'll get hired by the corporations. It's the revolving door. Ah, yes. Yes. It's the, it's the circus parade. Jason's in here and he says, uh, uh, looks like my prediction. Oh, Anarchy Angie says, looks like my prediction of the list going missing is on track. David Copperfield is mentioned in the court documents. And Jason says, none of those people will will ever serve time as much as I would like to see it. This list is a distraction to take away from how bad our presidential candidates are. There's plenty more Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Find us every Monday through Friday on Rockfin, Rumble and Twitter starting 6 p.m. Eastern Time live. On Free Talk Live, we're bringing people to the ideas of liberty every day. From wrestling superstars like Glenn Jacobs. You guys really are having an impact, I believe. Like I said, uh, a lot of where I am now is due to listening to Free Talk Live. You changed my mind on some very important issues years ago. To random people tuning in on the radio. I was kind of stuck in the left-right paradigm. I heard your show by chance on a Saturday night. From there, I went on, joined the Free State Project, and become an amplifier. So, I mean, that's really the reason why I amp is uh, because I know that if it wasn't for you guys being on as many stations as you are, I never would have found the ideas of liberty. You can help more people hear the message of liberty by joining Free Talk Live's AMPS program on Patreon for as little as $5 a month. And you'll get access to special perks. Visit amps.freetalklive.com, amps.freetalklive.com. Welcome back to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. All right, we've got many other things to discuss, so let's get into those, my friend. And for some of that, I think we need a theme. And you know what I want? I'm a little cold down here. You know, I put on my put on my uh, my scarf, so I think we need a little music. What are we gonna hear? But oh, it's too hot, too hot, lady. I gotta run for shelter, gotta run for city. It's too hot, too hot, too hot, lady. Gotta cool this anger, what a mess we have made so long ago. You were my love, oh my love. Oh, man, I tell you, that is some smooth stuff, much smoother than the relationship between the Democrat National Committee and the state of New Hampshire. That's for darn sure. So let's get into it, my friends. When we're talking about climate, heat, all that stuff, well, this is definitely wrapped into it. Let's see how one German official who has been involved with trying to stop farmers from being able to handle their farms properly, has been involved with 
curtailing the energy supplies, all as part of a multi-year, long, long-running German attempt to try to make sure that those evil carbon emissions are cut to conform to the EU demands for 2050 and all this other nonsense. The people involved with the German government who just turned the other way when Nord Stream Pipeline was blasted apart, the people involved with the German government who helped give weapons, tanks, ammunition to Ukraine, and of course also saw that they wanted to make sure there would be penalties for actually getting Russian oil. So instead, they had to buy the Russian oil after it was sold through third parties back to Germany for higher costs. The same government that started to cut down on the ability for coal plants to operate, saw coal mines being shut down, which now they're thinking about reopening, and contemplated shutting down their nuclear plants. Yes, a person involved with that government in Germany is the agricultural commissioner. And here, Eva Varderlingerbrook. I don't know. It's uh, Eva's cool, though. I like Eva. Uh, She writes this breaking. We're live in Erlenbach, where Sim Ozdemir, the German minister of food and agriculture. Well, that ought to give folks a little hint. Maybe that's not a good idea. Just got greeted by a fed up crowd of farmers and citizens telling him to piss off. A dozen children on plastic tractors were shouting for the farmers. So let's check it on out for 30 seconds of fine, fine fun. Oh, I have to reload this. It looks like, hold on a second. Oh, no, it's going. Yes. Score. Okay. Here we go. Check it out. to see it good stuff good stuff i like that man on the street you know image stuff of these people who have all been somehow tainted uh by this idea that they can tell people how to live their lives command them and control them increase their taxes and all these different types of things and of course it all plays into the whole climate change nonsense and i want to show you a little something here that uh i picked up and i think i've got it right yes i've got it right here of course we know that one of the big people who was involved in pushing this whole climate change canard and the uh world control over energy uh turning cash into digital currency which then they will attach certain uh, priorities on how you can spend the money, when you can spend spend the money, where you can spend the money, and of course, making sure that uh, you can't use petrochemicals. They will be the controllers. One of them is, of course, Klaus Schwab from the World Economic Forum. And uh, we happen to see that the new Star Wars director was speaking yesterday. I showed a clip uh, from her of her from the critical drinker and he showed the he showed the clip in his piece and uh it was this director speaking at a world economic forum about women taking control 
of Star Wars, which is just so exciting. All of movies in general, uh, which is great. Just, you know, another wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, so obviously the uh, the people who are involved with the World Economic Forum, uh, they they sort of reflect what I think is collectivism in every respect. I uh, just want to bring this up. One of the big things that I recall in reading 1984 as a teenager was the discomfort I felt, not only in the government claiming to control what you're going to do for work, where you're going to go, you know, to, to eat the, your food, uh, how much food you're going to get, all that rationing stuff. But in addition to that, the, one of the key things that Orwell does is it's the invasion of the mind, right? And I, I, I realized the, the other day that I haven't really expressed it. And I don't think a lot of other people are really expressing that this is the this is the extent of collectivism. It's not just that they want to take your property. It's not just that they want to control you either with fascism or outright seizure of your property or regulations that tell you certain things that are really government threats with the gun of government behind it all. But in addition to that, it's more than that. It's you can't think this way because it doesn't run with the collective. You can't close your door in a business to people you don't want in there. You can't call somebody male or female. You can't use a word to describe somebody that is a correct word, a singular pronoun. They have collectivized even the language that you are able to use. And in some cases, they've backed it up with statutes. So you had this ever encroaching growth of collectivism through statutes, through the regulatory world, through the NGOs, the world government people, as they constantly use both government and media, pop media in particular, to try to push the actual mechanisms of government to then promote collectivism, take away choices, build up the people who will benefit from the collectivism and further take away choices, whether it's through the banking industries, uh, through the banking and through the banks, through um, um, the pharmaceutical industries, through the healthcare industries, the health insurance industries, constant growth of collectivism and regulation, and then gaming the system becomes more fascist. But they've collectivized even the language, even the thoughts in your head. They want to collectivize. They want you to engage in self-censorship as they take over your property, they take over your land, and many people have fallen prey to this. And I think, of course, they often do this, the public often do this out of what they feel is the kindness of their heart. They engage in the aggression of collectivism because they think they're doing a good thing for the underdog. And this is exactly the mindset that they use, exactly the sort of propagandistic technique they've used all the time in cultural Marxism and even Karl Marx's original strain of Marxism and Rousseau before Marx, decades before Marx. It is property is bad. It shows differences, according to Rousseau. And he even said the first person who laid down a stake and said, this is mine was one of the first evildoers, you know, a person who promoted private property. 
In other words, it's perfectly fine to take somebody's property. That's what Rousseau is saying. It's an excuse for theft. And he says, the government will do it for the little guy. Karl Marx, same thing. Language, same thing. We'll take away your choices of language for the little guy. They've collectivized the language. Now, natural sources can can see, see language evolve. But a lot of this is driven by political sources and political means in order to generate a weapon that can be used against a political enemy. They will pick the term and then will say, you're misusing that term, you're evil. Because it allows them to not engage in a debate. It allows them to broad brush, to uh, tar and feather the person they're debating. And so as we see what's going on in Germany, we can see the results of this. And now things are starting to turn around. Because all of this rhetoric, all this language they've been using to try to curtail energy in places like Germany is seeing such a profound effect on the bottom line of the little guys trying to handle their private property that all of these attacks are finally reaching an apex for these people and they're acting. And of course, as we mentioned, one of the organizations that has really been pushing this since the since the man established it after he was an, uh, an apprentice to the uh, war criminal Henry Kissinger was Klaus Schwab. That guy, of course, and we just happen to see Mr. Schwab with the grandfather of that man. This man being the father of the current king of England, Klaus Schwab in his younger days, looking oh so 70s dapper. Yes, indeed. Wash and wear there, Klaus. Way to go. And this is the man who said that if he comes back, he wants to be a virus so that he can exterminate at least a third of the population. And there is his grandson, whose mother likely was killed by forces connected with world government types and the royal family. So I thought that was interesting. And so now let's turn to the latest pieces of information that I want to give to you to remind you about what the Germans have been experiencing. I mentioned some of this yesterday, but I want to back up what I said. Here it is. Europe's skyrocketing energy prices cause industries to close. This is from January of 2022. Over the past 20 years, Europe closed its coal plants to embrace wind turbines. But that backfired in 2021 when wind energy decreased, resulting in less generation from the continent's wind turbines. With fewer coal plants to fall back on, Europe turned to generating electricity from natural gas, causing natural gas prices to skyrocket and forcing Europe into a greater reliance on Russian natural gas. The result was manufacturing and fertilizer plants that were forced to close, of course, because they need natural gas to create the nitrogen fertilizer. Some power supplies went out of bit suppliers went out of business. Carbon dioxide emissions increased for all the climate fearmonger cultists out there. And about 80 million Europeans are now living in energy poverty, up from 50 million in 2019. That was in 2022. And that is from the Institute for Energy Research. Now let's go to Business Insider. 
Germany's industrial machine is sputtering from August of 2022, with electricity costs up 600% and factory inflation at a 73-year high. Here's what's going on in Europe's largest economy. This is an analysis by Harry Robertson, Robertson, August 25th, 2022. The German economy, the largest in Europe, has a big industrial sector that is under huge pressure. Factory inflation hit its highest since records began in 1949 as electricity costs soared 600%. Germany's need for Russian energy, they say addiction, is helping to push it towards recession. No kidding. Just amazing. Consumer price inflation at that time went to 37.2% in the year to July, year-on-year inflation. The German economy stagnated in the second quarter of 2022, and many forecasters were expecting imminent recession. That is exactly what they got. That's one of the reasons why they have a new government there, but they're not really helping. Here's a little bit of what they expect from DW.com. What 24 brings for Germany, energy price hikes, more skilled immigration, cannabis legislation. The new year will bring several changes that are likely to be felt across the country. Let's watch the next one. This is one of those little slide things. Schnitzel, the catering industry, sees price hikes as the value-added tax in restaurants and other catering establishments rises from 7 to the standard 19%. Standard. Oh, I see. So we're just putting it back to normal. How about you don't assume that you can take people's money? Because, of course, they have a massive def- deficit in Germany. Thank you, Andrew Merkel. Great job. The government is rolling back its reduction from 2020. They said that that was intended to help the industry recover after the COVID-19 so-called pandemic. You mean after the government lockdowns for a non-pandemic? In other words, more government fascism from the formerly fascist state of Germany. Oh, look at this. Energy price hikes. The CO2 levy for burning fossil fuels like oil or natural gas rises from 30 euros per ton to 45. This affects the prices of, you got it, diesel and gasoline at the pump. Caps on electricity and gas prices were terminated early at the end of 2023, following November's constitutional court ruling that tore a hole into the budget. The sales tax on natural gas heating is raised again from 7% to 19%. Travel. Air travel is likely to become more expensive in 2024 as the German government increases the ticket tax. All passenger aircraft taking off from German airports will be affected as a 50% increase is now on the cards and the road toll on German motorways, which previously applied only to vehicles with a total weight of 7.5 tons or more, will now be extended to trucks from 3.5 tons. Isn't that beautiful? How lovely. In the meantime, in the United States, Joe Biden 
and his administration, I didn't get to give you this one yesterday, drops nearly a billion dollars on green bus program that the inspector general warned was unfeasible. Yeah, they're investing your money, which is, you know, if you're if you're a thief and you just want to get away with it, I think all you have to do is tell the judge I was investing it for people. I'm from the government. I'm here to help. The Biden administration is dispersing nearly another billion dollars in federal grants for school districts nationwide to decarbonize their bus fleets. <laughs> decarbonize their bus fleets. In other words, they're going to shut them off. That's how you decarbonize a bus fleet. The only way you decarbonize a bus fleet, stop using their lingo, Fox. The only way you decarbonize a bus fleet is by getting rid of the bus fleet because the buses have to get energy somehow. And to get that energy, it will require carbon so-called emissions. Man, the Environmental Protection, really constitutional, not really agency EPA, in a joint announcement with the White House, meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice, said it had selected. 67 applicants to receive approximately $965 million to purchase electric and low emission school buses. Uh, that's that's going to be great with all the kids on those buses. If they happen to go through floodwaters, it's going to be awesome. The funding means the agency has now awarded nearly $2 billion for thousands of new buses across hundreds of school districts under its clean school bus program. Clean. Are you very clean, aren't you? Are you not so clean, are you? Which was created in late 2021. It's alive. It's alive. Yeah. So are you thinking what I'm thinking? Like maybe five, 10 years from now, we're going to be hearing a lot of reports of kids stranded on school buses because the buses ran out of power. And they couldn't get to the charging stations and the kids had to be offloaded in the snow. That's going to be fun. Mm-mm, Mom, this is swell. Couldn't get any better than this. Put that stupidity on a plate, Otto. You'll enjoy it more. Nah, couldn't get any better than this, Mom. Little Repo Man reference there. Oh, isn't that great? Well, I've got some more information for you. So let's turn first to the story that uh, the story which I referenced earlier about that very hip and happening dude. Who is that man? Well, I mentioned he happens to be the lone czar for the Department of Energy. So I'm going to go in here and uh, show you a couple things. We're going to get to this one in just a little while. Head Biden energy bureaucrat laughably claims U.S. has hit peak gas demand. I'll give you that one in a little while. That was my um, investigative piece. My investigative piece about, uh, yeah, you know, another one about Jennifer Granholm. She's just so cool. And uh, there's there's the picture of Jennifer, as uh, they would say, Jennifer Oh, Jenny. Oh, yes, indeed. Granny Granholm. She's so cool. But this is the one we're going to discuss first. Biden energy loan czar invested in struggling energy companies set to get $1.5 billion from the czar's office. Now, there's a little bit of a time split there, but uh, let me give you the info and let you know what's happening. I gave you a little thumbnail of this last night, so here's more. 
perhaps inspired by his Department of Energy head, Jennifer Granholm, who pocketed almost $2 million in stock options given to her by an electric vehicle bus company that she helped get federal money, i.e. our tax cash, when she was governor of Michigan, and the company which filed for bankruptcy shortly after she got to sell her stock for almost $2 million. Yeah, perhaps inspired by his energy department head, a new report reveals that the Department of Energy's so-called energy loan czar is fast-tracking, as they call it, a perfidiously tainted loan from his office. Isn't that just special? Isn't it delightful? Perhaps you're feeling some vibes here, some warnings inspired by the fact that the unconstitutional Trump-endorsed Paycheck Protection Program of 2020 delivered $800 billion to mostly large corporations and won't see much of that money paid back. Or perhaps you're feeling the earthquake of disturbing vibes from so many founding fathers spinning in their graves over the very existence of both the DOE and its Romanesque czar. There's a lot more coming up with Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Eleutheromania, the insatiable desire for freedom. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. Welcome to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. I'm Gardner Goldsmith, the creator of the Liberty Conspiracy, which can be seen and heard every Monday through Friday, starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Rumble, Rockman, and on my Twitter slash X feed, that being at Gard Goldsmith. That's G-A-R-D Goldsmith. If you're interested in finding more information that I might be able to provide to you, then check out my Substack, that being the Gardner Goldsmith Substack. And you'll find that every Sunday we provide what's called the Sunday News Assembly. The News Assembly contains at least 20 stories pertaining to liberty plus contextual information that will help draw out of those breaking stories longer term intellectual ammunition to help defend and expand the purview of freedom. Thanks so much for listening to this program here on free talk live which is also such a fantastic home for freedom perhaps you're feeling some vibes here some warnings inspired by the fact that the unconstitutional trump endorsed paycheck protection program of 2020 delivered $800 billion to mostly large corporations and won't see much of that money paid back. Or perhaps you're feeling the earthquake of disturbing vibes from so many founding fathers spinning in their graves over the very existence of both the DOE and its Romanesque czar. According to Alana Goodman, writing for the Washington Free Beacon, 
Quote, Biden energy loan czar Jigar Shah was a major investor in a struggling green energy company that is in advanced talks to receive a $1.5 billion loan from his office. Yeah. Goodman notes that Shaw is the director of the DOE loan office and that the Constitution Insulting Office is ready to direct the cash to a so-called green climate cult-coddled corporation called Plug Power. That would be the same Plug Power, which in 2019 received a Generate Capital loan of $100 million. And Generate Capital was founded by, you got it, Jigar Shah. Hey, hey, that's good. Yes, I think Pink Floyd's going to change some lyrics and say, have a Jigar. According to Goodman, Federal disclosure records indicate that Shaw sold his shares for gener- of Generate Capital prior to entering his Biden administration office. Okay, so the company he founded, Generate Capital, gave this other company plugs, not Joe Biden's hair plugs, this uh, plug company, Plug Power, a $100 million loan. And then Shaw left the company, Generate, that he founded sold his shares, according to federal disclosure records, before entering the Biden administration office to get into a position to help out the corporation where he has no more direct ties, but some of his friends at his old company that he helped found and some of his friends at Plug Power might benefit now from Mr. Shaw. Yes, indeed. According to Goodman, he uh, sold his shares, but I said there's a bit it's a bit more complicated than that. Indeed, she writes Plug Power repaid the one hundred million dollars to generate at a nine percent interest rate last December while it was in negotiations for the DOE funding with Shaw's office, according to corporate disclosure filings. The repayment was three years ahead of schedule at a time, get this, and this is the key, when that Plugs Power Company was warning investors of its financial inviability. Perhaps we needn't feel guilty, I wrote, for seeing a possibly cozy relationship here, since the edge of bankruptcy Plug Power. Could they have been making a reference to Joe Biden's surgically modified hairline? Since Plug Power might have been able to move more freely to repay Shaw's old company, thanks to the fact that Shaw's new government office was fast-tracking it for a Biden DOE loan, even as Plug Power was warning people that it might be close to insolvency. In other words, that it might not be able to pay off the people who loaned it money. But some people are better than others, it seems. Some pigs are better than others. Goodman also notes that members of the legislative branch in D.C. are concerned about other Shaw dealings. In November, Senator John Barrasso, Republican of Wyoming, 
the top Republican on the Senate Energy and Natural Resources Committee, sent a letter to DOE questioning a $3 billion loan, you probably remember this one, to Sonova, a solar company that shares a board member with a private trade group founded by Shaw. The trade group Clean Tech Leaders Roundtable has also hosted paid events where loan-seeking companies can meet Shaw, the Washington Free Beacon reported in October. Such an intertwining of personal, political, and professional relationships is just like FDR really promoted. Sorry, that's not in the quote. Um, uh, Such... Uh, Such an intertwining of personal, political, and professional relationships raises further questions about the impartiality of loan approvals and the susceptibility of the process to undue political influence, wrote Barrasso. But much much like I mentioned, when we talk about our our friend, the senator from uh, New Jersey, There's a larger picture that I think people might want to look at to leave a preposition dangling. And I said this, I said, whether or not the loan process is, quote, prone to undue political influence as the politicians in D.C. might see it, it is by definition run by a political system. And is therefore completely under the sway of political influence. That's what it is. It's run by the polis. Jeez. Hey, I said, this is axiomatic. Whether the end result of the anti-constitutional taking of my neighbor's money sees it used to fund a cozy relationship between two politicians, bureaucrats, between politicians, bureaucrats, and corporate hacks, or the money's handed out willy-nilly at random, the initial taking is the prime offense and ought to be opposed. Ugly flourishes to the off-unquestioned tax thievery-slash-bureaucracy-run handout parade merely add some bright colors to the already ugly, inappropriate activity of government loans and other collectivist fascist favors. So we can see this and remember it well. Plug Power described Generate, that's his former corporation, as its longstanding partner in a 2020 press release. I said, we can see that, but we can also widen the perspective and see how corrupt every government handout truly is. Because each loan, grant, or favor that the politically powerful hand to anyone comes at our expense. They take our money. They take our opportunities to fund what we wish. Most of all, they show us utter contempt. They reveal their belief that they know better than we do how to spend our cash. Such are the pathological signs of the slave master. And the faster we recognize them and their fundamental fecund corruption, the faster we can prevent more of it from harming our progeny. Absolutely. I don't know who wrote that, but I agree with him. (laughs) I definitely agree with him. Now, I want to do something here real quick because I had to re- uh, uh, readjust the um, the uh, show a little bit here. So I want to just find one thing that I was rolling with, and I want to give this to you about the uh, German uh, protests. But also I want to mention here, you'll find 
that uh, the folks at Redacted covered uh, covered Lloyd Austin. Okay. Now, you might have heard, and this is, of course, going with the DC stuff. This is just a quick uh, uh, palate cleanser because uh, I do want to stick a little bit more with the, the energy stuff um, and uh, their assumption that they know better than we do how to run our lives and how that has a bearing on Germany as well. Obviously, it does. You know, uh, it's this conceit, this arrogance, this hubris. But in addition to that, uh, I do think it's quite interesting. The double standard that is applied, uh, or at least people like Lloyd Austin appear to feel that they have. People in the Defense Department seem to feel that they have. Uh, you might have heard about how people were very upset and they want Lloyd Austin to step down because he went missing. He's the secretary of defense. They had to give a special OK for him to come back to Washington after he left Washington to go work at Raytheon. There's supposed to be this time period when you can't go to work for these giant corporations like a defense contractor and then become, you know, things like the defense secretary, which is going to be dealing with the people that he just used to work with. Uh, but nonetheless. Uh, Lloyd Austin was given permission to become the defense secretary of this massive hegemonic on the offense, so-called call it defense government of the United States, handing out weapons and money and sending soldiers hither and thither. Right. OK, just like the money, they're raining soldiers all over the map. But Lloyd Austin disappeared for a week. And people were like, where is Lloyd Austin? Because, of course, everybody's, you know, so concerned about na American national security. They say, where's Lloyd Austin? What happened to Lloyd? He's not Steve Austin. He didn't go out on some test run and become bionic. Well, he was in the hospital. And what they have explained is that Steve, I mean, Lloyd, m worth much more than the $6 million man, I'm sure. Uh, Austin went in for, they finally revealed it, cancer, prostate cancer treatment. Don't know if he got surgery. It was just some other sort of treatment. He had a complication. He had to stick around there. Okay. So a lot of people are saying, hey, you know, okay, the guy had the guy had surgery, got a layoff a little bit. Maybe he didn't have surgery, but he got therapy. We don't know, but he's he's got prostate cancer. Okay, we get it. That's some tough stuff. But I do think that uh some of the double standard needs to be recognized here because the Military certainly wants to know all of your all of your medical all of your medical information as they you know if, if you're in the military they want to know they have to know they have to find out whether you are um, somehow uh, you know going to be a danger out there if you're going to be deployed uh, they want to know they will collect that information. The military was also involved in developing the jabs, right? Somehow, they want your information if you're in the military because they say it's for safety and security reasons. But we, the people who are supposedly the ones they're servicing with all this great, wonderful defense as they send weapons to you know, cause people to die in other countries because that evidently is their idea of defense, we can't know. I thought it was important to know the health of people in the military. But we're not supposed to know as this guy's gone for a week. There is a double standard, clearly. They don't want you to know. You don't get to know. And if a company dealt with people that way, the company wouldn't be around very long. Want to turn to Redacted now, go back to that energy point, and talk a little bit about 
Klaus Schwab and the central figures who are pushing what is going to be coming about privacy and energy. Here's a little more from Redacted. Names that we don't know because they're just citizens that are right. Talk, yeah. speaking about it. Well, okay. Speaking of citizens, could this globalist group rebuild trust by admitting that asking people not to use energy is asking them not to prosper and that there is no future of climate change without affordable energy and asking people to live with less is not the answer? Will they do that? No, they will not. Uh, they're not going to do that. Instead, take a look at this. Transforming energy demand says that what can companies and governments do to enable economic growth with less energy? They want you not to have heat. They want you not to have a, any kind of transportation or energy to get you around. It's basic. The, the message remains not. I mean, we've presented to you so many times, so much research that shows that when an economy prospers, then climate emissions go down. Impact on the environment goes down because technology will advance us to the point where we are no longer doing things that are harder on the earth. We've presented you with research that shows that with prosperity comes a decline in, in admissions and you need access to gas and energy in order to prosper. Those things are linearly co connected, but they're pretending that it's not here, pretending that we can shrink the lives of nations and solve climate problems in that way. And it's false. It's a false narrative. We've seen that over and over and over again. Um, instead, they want to focus not on reprogramming the agenda and creating prosperity for all. That is not a priority. Instead, they want to focus on reprogramming you. Take a look at this panel. They're calling it reskilling. This is a new word that we might see globalists use. Whatever you do for a job, you won't be able to do that as a job in the future if they have their way because they want a powerless you. Uh, so they're going to reskill the global workplace. Uh, you know, I mean, this could sort of make sense in terms of like, okay, you know, Certain things used to be automated and now robots do that job. So we need to reskill this population or more cynical view might be we don't need farmers because we have Bill Gates mass produced factory food yeah, and fake, you'll fake eat meat. that instead. So we'll take those farmers and we will reskill them into District 12. Right. We That's will keep Hunger them. Reference. We, I saw people in the chat here saying like 15 minute cities. Well, they don't want you to work, right? They want you to have a universal basic income. They want you to stay at home and they want to control you. Yeah. And they want you on their pharmaceuticals. They don't want you being entrepreneurial. They don't want you going out there and doing those things. So they will take away your livelihood and they will reskill you the way that they, they feel is necessary. Right. Again, world. I see this very Hunger Games. District 4 does textiles. District 5 does right. mining, right? District 12. That's how it reads to me. Again, that's me being cynical. You're free to present this in a, in a different way to me if you think I'm being overly cynical. Um, will they rebuild trust? Here's another, another, you know, pipe dream by collaborating for peace. It does not seem like they want to do that either. In fact, here's a panel that is discussing a plan for a European army. Okay. Uh, here was Clayton when I screamed about this today. He goes, who runs that army? Ursula von der Leyen, president yeah, yeah. of the European Commission? Well, I specifically said, you know, which unelected leader 
is going to roll, you know, run the, the EU army, right? Because right. if you didn't vote for a war, you didn't vote for your leaders to participate in this war. So what unelected globalists are going to be in charge of the EU army? All right, let's pause it and let's go over because I've got the story prepared, everybody. Uh, let me show this to you on, i got to find my tab here. Here it is. Italian foreign minister calls for formation of EU army from Reuters. Gee, I wonder what they might be policing. Rome, the European Union should form its own combined army. We saw this coming a long time ago that could play a role in so-called peacekeeping. Get it? Again, the state will protect you. How? By forcing you to pay for an army. Oh, oh, got it. I got it. Thank you. Can it? Because I know that when it doesn't, I don't feel pain when I hit myself. Okay, thank you. In an interview with Italian newspaper, oh, sorry. Uh, this is Italian Foreign Minister Antonio Tajani said this. In an interview with Italian newspaper La Stampa, Tajani said that closer European cooperation. Ah, I see. See, they're cooperating. So that just means everything's touchy-feely, fuzzy, nice. It's Fozzie Bear. Uh, cooperation on defense was a priority for the Forza Italian party that he leads. Quote, if we want to be peacekeepers in the world, we need the European military. No fighting in the war room. Look at this. Look at this thing. Look at this. If we want to be peacekeepers in the world, we need a European military. And this is a fundamental precondition to be able to have an effective European foreign policy. You said in an interview published on Sunday. Oh, okay. Wow. In a world with powerful players like the United States, China, India, Russia, with crises from the Middle East to the Indo-Pacific, Italian, German, French, or Slovenian citizens can only be protected by something that already exists, namely the European Union, he added. Uh, I, I thought he was going to say Satan, but, you know. Maybe I've just been reading the Bible a little bit too much recently. European defense cooperation has risen up the political agenda. They've risen up that. I always love that term. They've risen up the political agenda. Where does that come from? Since Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine almost two years ago. However, efforts have been more focused on NATO expansion. I know. It's almost as if they already have their own army. Right? Anyway. And, of course, we know that Sweden's on track to become a member. And Norway is planning on making that splinter of Ukraine that re will remain after they sue for peace because they're going to lose this war against Russia very soon. Uh, they'll make them some sort of NATO vassal state, and it'll become the Israel of the north. And uh, no one will be able to touch it. They'll create all sorts of conflict with the Russians and try to block Russian energy, and it'll become a new Cold War up there, which will just be awesome, right? Oh, yeah. You know, I think part of the problem that I see here is if you look at the formation of the EU, it was supposed to be 
a a a coalition of nation states that would tear down the trade barriers between the nation states and allow for travel between the nation states. And I actually I actually knew a guy who was from the Institute for um, Economic Affairs, the IEA, which is over on Lord North Street in London, just around the corner from the Parliament Building, and um and, and very close to the Adam Smith Center and um. And I, I talked to him. He came over to the United States and started working with uh, the Institute for Humane Studies and stuff like that, and uh, and the Mercatus Institute in particular. Um, but he was telling me, he goes, you know, I was involved early on with trying to cobble together the the original idea for the EU. And he goes, you know, I didn't realize it was going to turn into this monster. Like he goes, we just want a free trade, and it, and it became a regulatory state. And I was like, yeah, and they're going to they they want a police force. He goes, yeah, they do. I was like, yep, that's right. They want the world police. There you go. And as the new bomb Turk said, if we're going to be the police of the world, I want my donuts free. So they're a great Ohio punk band. They're very cool. Little hardcore lefties, but you know, they're great, great band. Uh, so this sort of idea of, well, you know, we were in, interested in free trade and it's a political agency. And all of a sudden, shocker, we're starting to regulate people and we're going to form an army to back up the regulations. Of course we are. And to move migrants places and make sure they're house places and all those different types of things like what the U.N. has been doing in places like, oh, you know, Syria, Libya, moving people around, planting people with other governments in Ireland and the UK and the United States doing all that stuff. It's just been great for those internationalists. Well, let's not forget that part of the problem comes, I think, in the mindset of even accepting the idea that the government has any role in so-called regulation. And so I want to turn to the video that they were able to produce for MRC TV from the video that I reshot yesterday uh, this is about that Amish farmer and the people who have been raising money to try to help him out. But also, as I often try to do, some of the longer term lessons uh, from which we can uh, from uh, which we can derive from this story as we look at the Miller Organic Farm in Pennsylvania. We'll return with more Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Welcome to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Hey, let's get to some of the corruptness atop the corruptness. The corruption atop the corruption, as I corrupt the language. Let's hear a little legal theme, one and all. instruments coming in and watering everything down there you know making everything like ah i'm eating prunes no thank you i'm getting old listening to that listen to that air going through there giving the bass whap that bass all right 
first, we're going to do a little recap here. Uh, I was monitoring the Grace Curley show and Caroline Levitt, who ran for Congress from New Hampshire. Uh, she's now working for the Trump campaign, I think. She was filling in for the great Grace Curley. And Caroline's a lot of fun. I disagree with her on some stuff. But, you know, she she does a pretty good job on the air. She's full of energy. She's full of uh, vim and vigor or uh, what is it? Uh, piss and vinegar chips, whatever. Is Lay, does Lay's have those or is that is that only after you get, you know, GMOs in there? I don't know. Maybe they could add that through genetic engineering. Mm, this is wonderful. Wow. So glad. Thank you, Klaus Schwab. Thank you so much. It's the unpotato. Thank you. Uh, but anyway. Caroline Levitt was filling in for Grace on the Grace Curley show on the Howie Carr Network today. And I was checking it out because I was like, yeah, there's some big stuff happening in Washington. She's usually on top of this stuff. And sure enough, she gave us a really good thumbnail recap of something that I don't derive a lot of education from this. It doesn't really increase my erudition and, you know, my personal feelings of satisfaction on how well I've educated myself about the long-term meaningful stuff. It just reminds me of corruption, you know, and I think it on a day-to-day level, it's important to remember these things. I was trying to report on a lot of this stuff while it was happening. Some of it I didn't know, but I was very well aware of the Prisma stuff. And uh, I was one of the few people probably reporting on it at the time. And um, it goes back to 2016. I was writing about that for MRC TV and, um, you know, talking to my students about it, which gave me a a little sense. You don't want to feel vindication all the time, but it gave me a sense of satisfaction later when some of my students said, hey, Mr. Goldsmith, I remember you talking to us years before we heard about this Hunter Biden stuff. You were telling us that Hunter Biden got hired by the big uh, energy corporation in Ukraine after the uh, government the U.S. government got involved with over, overthrowing their government. I was like, yeah, yeah. You know, I was reporting on it in late 2013, and I watched it happen in 2014. So, you know, it's one of these things. So, sometimes you just are watching a story, and you can see you're lucky enough to see the trend. You're like, okay, this is probably something that's worth watching for a while. Uh, other people watch some that you might not see, and they say, and you say, wow, I'm glad that person was watching this. Caroline Lovett gave us a quick, good, quick overview of the stuff surrounding Hunter Biden now. And she comes into it by talking about this hearing where they had requested Hunter Biden to testify in the House and he wouldn't do it. And then he showed up and that caused such a kerfuffle. It was like, oh, the audacity of that guy. He wouldn't show up to testify, but he shows up and crosses his arms and sits down. And then he walks away as they as they notice him there. As they point him out, he walks away indignantly like he's some proud boy, you know, I use that term uh, a little too loosely, probably. But here's Carolina. She goes through some of this and then she does a very good job talking about something else. And I was going to check out the video. I have one segment of video from this with Mika Brzezinski talking to Jill Biden. But the one the piece that I've got, it's not as good as the audio that she's got of a separate thing. That I think is apt. It just shows you the fawning, the dexterous fawning of these pop media people, especially the daughter of Zbigniew Brzezinski, just absolutely licking every aspect of this woman's personality. We'll get to that in just a minute. Here's Caroline giving us that quick overview coming from the Grace Curley show. Hunter Biden just made a circus on Capitol Hill yesterday, but no one in the mainstream media is talking about it. I mean, he literally got up and left 
in the middle of a congressional hearing about whether or not he should be held in contempt of Congress, which the Oversight Committee did ultimately decide, yes, indeed, he should, after defying the subpoena and lying endlessly about he and his father's involvement, or his father's involvement in his business, rather. Uh, So here is Anna Paulina Luna just putting that into perspective and how Hunter Biden should be referred to the Department of Justice, cut 15. He should be held accountable by the Department of Justice, but that is what we are voting to do is to send that to investigation because he denied and defied a congressional subpoena. Will the the general yield? Wait, let me finish. Hunter (laughs) Biden is not above the law. We want to send him to the DOJ and we want to trust the DOJ to do their job. But right now, the American people have a serious distrust factor with the DOJ and for good reason. So we would like to pass this, send him to the DOJ, and let's see if they'll do what they promised the American people they would do. I yield my time. Anna Polina Luna, she is so smart. We've had her on this show a couple times when I've been filling in for Grace. She's just, she's fiery. She kicks butt. She just had a baby too. Yeah, and don't forget, her name is like the Slim Whitman song, Anna Polina Luna. So kudos to her. She's 100% right. I mean, Hunter Biden is acting like he's above the law and he's defied these subpoenas. He sat on the board of directors for the Ukrainian oil company Burisma. He received 24 million bucks from corrupt foreign companies and nationals for selling nothing other than his father's uh, influence facilitated nearly 20 meetings between his business partners and then Vice President Joe Biden. And he sold Joe Biden's brand. I mean, there's so much evidence to prove this. And again, the mainstream media is not talking about it. You won't hear it anywhere today that he got up and left in the middle of the the committee hearing. In fact, when I first... How, How dare he? How dare that criminal getting money through illegitimate means get up and walk away from those people he gave the virtual middle finger to who also are getting their money through illegitimate means. How dare that criminal walk away and turn his back against all those other people who are getting money off the backs of you. That is just, that's just disrespectful of the criminals running Washington, D.C. <laughs> It's just different blocks of criminals. I have to say, Anna Polina Luna, uh, she she policy-wise occasionally really slams stuff home, and she's got a great brain on within the day-to-day battles and things like that. But again, as a guy who believes that it is immoral to force somebody to pay for something, that it's immoral to steal from people, you don't get an excuse by saying, well, some guys born centuries ago signed this document. So now I could take your stuff. It's like, no, you can't do that. And they're all upset that Hunter Biden didn't show them respect. <laughs> Wait till you hear Mika Brzezinski with Dr. Jill, though. The way she frames Hunter Biden's photographs, which he took himself. Oh, oh man, it was a cry for help. A cry for help, obviously. Just like Anthony Weiner, a cry for help. Or was it like Iggy Pop, cry for love? Saw this on Twitter yesterday. I was like, is this real? Like, is this a real video? Who does this? No one was talking about it. Uh, unless you're on Twitter, really. 
And uh, so rather than talk about the fact that Hunter Biden is a criminal and he's defying the law, uh, MSNBC, of course, has Jill Biden on to cover for Hunter. So here's a new one. You got to check this out. Okay. I know I'm pausing it, you know, but it's like we're at a party. Like, come on, get over here. Yeah, bring the popcorn and stuff. You got to see this. Come on, check this out. Did you guys see this yet? Come on over here. Come on over here. Oh, this is great. Interview out this morning of Joe Biden talking to, I think it's Andrea Mitchell. Mika. Or Mika on MSNBC. What's the difference? Andrea Mitchell's married to Alan Greenspan. Mika's the daughter of the one world or whatever. Mr. Chess, chessboard man, whatever. And take a listen for yourself. What Joe has to say. Coping personally uh, with the onslaught of Mitchell, Mitchell, Mika, or Mika on MSNBC. And take a listen. She says, how is he coping personally? That's what Mika Brzezinski asked Dr. Dr. Jill. Listen for yourself. What Joe has to say. Coping personally uh, with the onslaught of accusations against your husband and your family, including. It's an onslaught of accusations against your husband and your family. Mika's pretty good with the language when she wants to protect her own otherwise known as jackals. Especially Hunter, it's the focus of a House Oversight Committee hearing, holding him in contempt, obsessing over him. Obsessing over him? (laughs) Oh, man. I'm not sure about this, Mika, but I think perhaps Hunter obsesses more about himself and actually trying to call someone to task for corruption within the corrupt state system is not necessarily obsession, but maybe trying to make up for lost time after the FBI held on to the evidence for ages before an election. Remember that, Mika? Oh, no, that's right. Because you, like everybody else, said the lines that people like John Brennan and others tried to feed to you over and over again, and you lapped it up. It had all the earmarks of a Russian disinformation campaign. Is that what Russian disinformation campaigns are? You get into, uh, you know, zero gravity water, salt, salt tanks, and smoke crack, and take pictures of yourself naked. Is that is that how Russian dis- disinformation? Is that what Russians do? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know Russian traditions. Maybe they have like a, a holiday disinformation campaign holiday, and they, you know, they have maybe they hang earmarks on trees. I don't know how it works. Showing picture of, of him during vulnerable moments, and especially Hunter. <laughs> I had to stop again. Showing pictures of him during vulnerable moments. Yeah. You know, the pictures that he, he took himself. Oh, man. Yeah, you know, him going across state lines and deceiving the IRS and things like that when he was hiring prostitutes. Something that under Joe Biden's three strikes laws... Uh, could have seen Hunter Biden go to prison for the rest of his life. Under Joe Biden's support for the 1968 Gun Control Act, Hunter Biden could have gone to jail just for that for 25 years for having a firearm, misplacing the firearm in a trash bin near a school. Ah, you know, but hey, it's all everybody else's fault when they're looking at the actions of Hunter Biden. People must be obsessed with Hunter Biden. It's the focus of a House Oversight Committee hearing, holding him in contempt, obsessing over him, showing pictures of him during vulnerable moments in his battle with addiction on the floor of his battle with addiction. 
I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's possible that in that essential battle with addiction, once again, it's a fight against Russia. You see, if the United States government doesn't continue to make sure that Hunter Biden gets his money to get, you know, the stuff that he needs, then Russia's going to just, you know, march to march to England right across the water. It's just going to be, you know, cats and dogs living together, you know, to quote uh, Mur Billy, Bill Murray. The house, this would crush any family. Mika, I, I think what they are doing to Hunter is cruel. And I'm really proud of um, how Hunter has rebuilt his life uh, after addiction. You know, I'm, I love. Remember, it's, it's after. This is the post-addiction period of Hunter Biden's life. Just keep that in mind. Don't ask any questions about the cocaine found at the White House. Shh. You didn't see anything. It's like over the hedge when they opened up the, what was it, a Cheeto, uh, nacho cheese Doritos or Cheetos bag. And they, they showed the, the cheese going everywhere. They, they pulled back and you could see it exploding from space. Maybe that's like what the cocaine was like. Maybe it was just a cluster munition. I don't know. My son and it's had, it's hurt my grandchildren. And oh. that's what I'm. Yeah. You know, she cares so much about those grandchildren, especially the one that was the daughter of the stripper whom they wouldn't acknowledge for years until they finally were forced to do so in a settlement. And then when they were forced to do so in the legal settlement, they no longer hung the stockings up at the White House, at the mantelpiece in the White House. They, they stopped that wonderful tradition. I think even, even, uh, <laughs> I think even Caroline notes this here. So concerned about that it's affecting their lives as well. Let's talk about cruel, to, uh, cruel things affecting your grandchildren, yeah, yeah. Dr. Jill. Yeah. How about the grandchild? Specifically you don't one even, in Arkansas. That you don't even pretend you don't even acknowledge don't even acknowledge her existence it's so and it's, they, it's so sad on a personal level too i mean you just think about it just human beings getting to that point you know you, you could definitely see you know as kids we read the tragedies we're often given the tragedies to read the shakespeare tragedies you know macbeth um oh i don't know you know um bj and the bear you know that stuff and uh sheriff lobo Remember all those classic Shakespearean tragedies, uh, you know, the Carter administration. Yeah, I remember reading that one. I didn't want to read that again. That was a rough one. Just give me the cliff notes on that one. But I got to say, you know, it was so ridiculous because, you know, I, I think you get older and you can really see some of the tragedies from Shakespeare in a different light. You know, it's 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 to me, at least when I was a kid, it was much more plot driven than the humanity of the characters. Now, when I hear them speak and I can see Shakespeare really got to the core of those things. Oh, by the way, I'll remind you, if you get an opportunity, check out the book, uh, The Marlowe Shakespeare Connection by Sam Blumenfeld. It was probably the second to last or third to last book that he did. It was his last solo book, pretty much. Uh, he then worked with Alex Newman. Uh, they put out a collection of his essays about education because he has so much great stuff about education. One of those books was edited by my dad called NEA Trojan Horse of, Edu of American Education. My dad did it under a pseudonym, so you won't see his name in there. But um, 
Uh, but because uh, he was working for Reagan at the time, so he had to disconnect his name from it. But um, it was interesting because Sam theorized that although it was claimed that Christopher Marlowe died outside of a tavern in a, in a fight, um, uh, he was a spy for Queen Elizabeth. And so um, they said that he actually lived and he lived the rest of his life in Corsica and wrote the Shakespeare plays there. So it's very interesting stuff. He goes into the fact that Shakespeare, although he was so famous for these plays, um, had a daughter and uh, never taught her to read. He didn't have an extensive library. He could have had access to a library, but the time to be able to get there would have been really extreme, as opposed to Christopher Marlowe, who was scholarly, had access to a library, and worked with the Queen. And so his theory is that um, Shakespeare put on the plays that were written by Marlowe. Marlowe kept his name off it so that he could live in peace and not get assassinated. And uh, Marlowe was provided with a salary by the Queen. And the Queen also made the Shakespeare Theatre Company basically the official theater of Elizabethan England uh, with, you know, two two theater uh, spaces, one out in um, um, Stratford-on-Avon, the other down in London. So very interesting stuff. So looking at that, let's take another look at more legal things. Dun, 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 dun. Let's talk about that liar we got to discuss last night. None other than Anthony Fauci, my friends. Oh, yes, indeed. Anth- oh, no, no, wait. Uh, e- mm, yeah, let's go with Anthony Fauci. We'll talk about the Donald Trump stuff in just a minute. I want to go with the Anthony Fauci one. All right, here it is. And this is just, David Knight brought this up. Man, David, powerful, powerful day today. So epic. And yesterday was awesome too. So here it is. Trump allies demand accountability from Fauci, not the former president. This is from Real Clear Politics. Now, I guess you could probably assume Real Clear Politics leans left, okay? But in leaning left, their editorial staff and their writers still have to make a choice when it comes to, are they going to slam Trump? Or in doing so, will that undercut their arguments about other things like the pandemic rhetoric that they supported for so, so long? And it looks like they chose to tell the truth here about Trump and Trump's involvement in this absolute black stain on the history of the United States among many black stains. House Republicans were eager to cross-examine Dr. Anthony Fauci, the former chief White House medical advisor, about his response to the COVID-19 so-called pandemic. They remained silent, however, about Donald Trump the former president who stood by the architect of the lockdown strategy. And they bring up many points that we've brought up here and David has brought up, and they're very important. It is time for Dr. Fauci to confront the facts and address the numerous controversies that have arisen during and after the pandemic, said Ohio Republican Representative Brad Wenstrup. Good job, Brad. He put out some very good X's slash tweets. He chairs the select subcommittee on the coronavirus pandemic that has been grilling the doctor behind closed doors. 
Nine Republicans sit on the committee, number nine. All of them love to loathe Fauci. Four of them have already endorsed. Now, this is reporting or coloring, perhaps. Coloring, coloring. Anyway, we'll just go with it. Four of them have already endorsed Trump as he seeks the presidency a third time, including Georgia Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who has said publicly that the doctor should be in jail. And of course, liken Trump to Jesus Christ. Fauci, but she is right about 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 Fauci, but Trump should be in jail too. Fauci was the face, as should Biden, as should most of the people in Congress. In fact, if you take government as being a criminal gang, all of them should be, even the ones who are trying to do good. If they take a dime of somebody else's money that way. Boy, it's tough. It's tough trying to pare down the size of government when you've got to join government to do it. That's tricky. Fauci was the face of the White House COVID task force, of course. And they note the relationship between Trump and Fauci was fraught. Trump frequently contradicted the doctor he deputized, occasionally even grousing about him publicly on Twitter. Remember, he said, oh, well, yeah, you know, everything he recommended, I did the opposite. No, not quite, Donald, not quite. In the end, Trump still awarded Fauci a presidential commendation for his work. And Trump said, I don't know where that came from. Sort of like what Fauci said about the six foot distancing thing. There's plenty more Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Find us every Monday through Friday on Rockfin, Rumble and Twitter starting 6 p.m. Eastern Time live. Welcome to Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. I'm Gardner Goldsmith, the creator of the Liberty Conspiracy, which streams every Monday through Friday live starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time on Rumble, Rockfin, and on my Twitter slash X feed, that being at Gard Goldsmith. In the end, Trump still awarded Fauci a presidential commendation for his work, and Trump said, I don't know where that came from. Sort of like what Fauci said about the six-foot distancing thing. It just appeared out of hammer space. I don't know what it was. It was like a Mario and Luigi game. I don't know. The focus on the decisions Fauci made and not on the president who empowered him has exasperated Trump rivals like Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Are we going to have some type of accountability, DeSantis asked during a recent interview with Real Clear Politics. Are we going to have a reckoning for this, or are we just going to act like everyone did such a great job? Representative Representatives Debbie Lasko of Arizona, John Joyce of Pennsylvania, and Ronnie Jackson of Texas will also get a chance to cross-examine Fauci. Each has criticized the doctor. All of them still endorsed the former president, however, who presided during his tenure, Fauci's tenure. None returned Real Clear Politics's request for comment. Lesko, the one from Arizona, so-called representative, said he will once again put America and Americans first about Trump. Two days after Christmas, he said this to announce or she said this to announce her endorsement of the Republican president who oversaw Fauci as he prescribed lockdowns and mask mandates 
from the White House podium. I never did that. If I could lock down everybody, I would. Uh, masks. You shouldn't wear a mask. Yes, you should definitely wear a mask. No, you shouldn't wear a mask. Oh, I'm here at the Washington Nationals game or whatever they call it, and I'm not wearing a mask. I'm sitting next to my wife and some other dude. Peanuts. Get your peanuts. Pressed by Megyn Kelly on why he awarded Fauci a presidential commendation, Trump pled ignorance, saying during a September interview on Sirius XM, I don't know. I don't know who gave him the commendation. I really don't know who gave him the commendation. Someone probably handed him a commendation. You know, they're just lying around like cocaine in the White House. Well, multiple former Trump officials found that answer far-fetched and said publicly that any type of commendation would require a signature from the president. Of course it would. You don't get a presidential commendation without the president saying you're getting a commendation. That's the point. Jeez. Can you imagine some guy gets a presidential commendation and the president didn't know about it? Hey, I don't think you're holding on to your job very long there, buddy. They have some good information from Scott Atlas. He's got a, a book about this. Former Multiple former Trump officials found that answer far-fetched. Regarding the suggestion that Fauci be fired, however, several former officials told Real Clear Politics that it, that it is easier said than done. Uh, no, you just do it. You're the executive. You swear an oath to the Constitution. Fauci's position is unconstitutional. So you put this in the thought meat grinder, and one thing comes out. Him. They note that the other members of the COVID task force had a resignation pact. If one person was fired, all would resign. You're, get rid of all of them. None of them are constitutional. It doesn't matter whether they're giving practically good advice or practically bad advice. They're not sanctioned by the Constitution. And, of course, the Constitution isn't sanctioned over me either. Atlas, Scott Atlas, was the single dissenting voice from the group, a neuroradiologist and senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution. He publicly railed against lockdowns and called for a different strategy that was eventually adopted in large part in Florida, of course, that being from the Great Barrington Declaration's policies coming out of Great Barrington, Massachusetts. And they go through some of the changes that DeSantis did. At first, he was in favor. They had the lockdowns, but they changed. And, of course, yes, DeSantis has been critical of him and is lagging behind Donald Trump. But perhaps Donald Trump will be thrown in jail. Well, maybe not. We'll see. He's got so many legal fronts he's trying to handle, right? He's got cases in Georgia, New York, trying to handle stuff in Washington, D.C. It's absolutely wacky, nutty stuff, man. It's almost like a script written by, it's like a work of art by Hunter Biden. Very abstract and hard to figure out. It's almost as if the guy were on drugs when he did it. But here is Mediaite. I was going to discuss this one yesterday. Didn't get time. So I wanted to give this to you today because there's audio from these arguments. But let me give you this information. This is from D. John Sauer, not Sig Sauer, John Sauer. As this question was posed to him and D. John Sauer, and I'm P. Gardner Goldsmith, actually offered the correct answer to a three-judge panel. That doesn't seem to get it at all. Judge Michelle Childs 
Judge Florence Pan and Judge Karen Henderson. They don't seem to grasp the way the Constitution is supposed to work. And they're the ones who swear an oath to it. So let me give you a quick overview of this. This happened in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. Sorry, I was thinking Georgia. It's the D.C. Court of, Court of Appeals. They heard oral arguments Tuesday on the 9th on the issue of presidential immunity after Judge Tanya Chuktan, uh, Ch- Chutkan denied two motions to dismiss based on First Amendment and presidential immunity claims. What's this all about? It's about the idea that Trump was involved with the January 6th stuff, that he was interested in trying to change the election. Here's more. Trump attorney John Sauer argued that under certain circumstances, a president could order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival and not face prosecution in a stunning exchange that an appeal hearing on former president at an appeal hearing on former president Trump's claim of presidential immunity. The D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals heard oral arguments on Tuesday, January 9th, on the issue of presidential immunity after Judge Tanya Chutkan denied two motions. It was based on a First Amendment appeal. And this is very interesting. I don't really care about the January 6th stuff or Donald Trump's attempt to try to bring up what he thought and maybe he was ill-advised, he thought could be a changed outcome of an election, that he thought he had a valid point to make. Okay, fine. I have no no interest in that myself as far as having voted for anybody or anything like that. I don't want to vote for people to get into offices. But they say here on Tuesday morning, Judge Pan grilled Sauer on a series of hypotheticals that resulted in Sauer arguing that a president could only face prosecution for an assassination if he were impeached and convicted first. Okay, what is the controversy there? I don't understand. He had an opinion about the election. Let me show you what C-SPAN reports here, okay? A three-judge panel from the U.S. Circuit or U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit heard oral arguments in United States v. Trump, a case concerning whether former President Donald Trump is immune from criminal prosecution for his his alleged role in trying to overturn the 2020 presidential election results and the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol. Okay, so again, the circumstances of that would lead me to think he has an opinion. He wasn't plotting. He told people to go and protest if you're just looking at the day-to-day stuff. Um, he honestly thought that there was a way to do this. He wasn't fomenting revolution or inciting some sort of insurrection in any way whatsoever. He thought he had legitimate questions and his attorneys had said that, but that's, that's really not the point that I want to address here. The point I want to address is how these judges, judge Michelle Childs, judge Florence Pan and judge Karen Henderson are so bereft of any concept of the logical syllogisms behind the way the Constitution's supposed to work. A, B, C, D, you siphon them through these, what's next? It's a logic chain. So the point is that if the president is going to be charged with a crime, right, 
let's say, killing someone, then first you've got to impeach him and remove him from office, and then you can charge him for a criminal act. The Congress can charge him. The Senate can have the hearing for crimes and misdemeanors that rise to the level, as they classically say, of impeachment. When he is removed from office, he becomes the civilian who can then be charged. It includes things like war crimes, right? But if he's in office, the structure of the Constitution is such that you can't just go and arrest a guy who's in office and say, we're going to charge you with some crime right now. Because he could still be president while he's going through the trial, and he wouldn't have been impeached yet. You've got to impeach him first. And this is the amazing thing. It's absolutely stunning. Listen to their arguments here. And they're, they're surprised. But the argument of his attorney is right. Oh, there's an ad. So we'll get rid of this ad here real quick. Oh, good. There's no ad. Good. Could a president sell pardons or sell military secrets? Could a president sell? Those are official acts, right? You, right. Could a president sell pardons or sell military secrets? Those are official acts, right? It's an official act to grant a pardon. It's an official act to communicate with a foreign government. And such a president would not be subject to criminal prosecution? Uh, the sale of pardons example is an excellent example because there were allegations about a sale of a pardon, essentially, when it came to President Clinton's uh, pardon of Mark Rich. And the U.S. DOJ carefully and for the very reasons we've emphasized in our brief, decided not to prosecute President Clinton with that because it raised concerns about whether or not a president could be prosecuted for his official acts. There's actually an op-ed in the National Review from our Andrew. But, but your position is that he can't be prosecuted for that unless yeah. he's impeached. Yeah. That was as long as it's an official act. I mean, certain cases. So we'll pause it right there. So the point is whether or not these things are official acts, right? So if you're drone striking someone, isn't an official act? No. So what's the first step? You impeach the guy and remove him, according to the Constitution. After that, everything follows. You then bring him into the court and you convict him of war crimes or other things like that, right? Those so-called official acts, if you can clearly show they're unofficial, what's the responsibility of the Congress? They have to remove him because they swore oaths to the Constitution. That's their first step. That's the point. Jeez. Purely private conduct under Clinton against Jones. He'd be subject to prosecution for that as long as he's not in office. Could, but could as long as he's official. Could a president order SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival? That's an official act in order to SEAL Team 6? He, he would have to be and would speedily be, you know, uh, uh, impeached and convicted before the criminal what prosecution. What if he weren't? There would be no criminal prosecution, no criminal liability for that? Chief Justice's opinion in Marbury against Matheson and... Uh, uh, and our constitutional tradition and the plain language of the impeachment judgment clause all clearly presuppose that what the founders were concerned about was not. I asked you a yes, no, yes or no question. Could a president who ordered SEAL Team 6 to assassinate a political rival who was not impeached, would he be subject to criminal prosecution? If he were impeached and convicted first. And so, so your answer is, is no. Is, 
My answer is qualified. Yes, there's a political process that have to occur under us, the structure of our Constitution, which require impeachment and conviction by the Senate. In these exceptional cases, as the OLC memo itself points out from the Department of Justice, you'd expect a speedy impeachment and conviction. But what the founders are much more worried about than using criminal prosecution to discipline presidents was what uh, James Madison calls in Federalist Number 47, the, you know, the, the newfangled and artificial treasons. They were much more concerned about the abuse of the criminal process for political purposes purposes to disable the presidency from factions and political opponents. And of course, that's exactly what we see in this case. I've I've asked you a a series of hypotheticals about criminal actions that could be taken by a president and could be considered official acts. And I've asked you, would such a president be subject to criminal prosecution if he's not impeached or convicted? And your answer, your yes or no answer is no. I, I believe I said qualified yes if he's impeached and convicted first. Uh, we may be saying that. So let's let's just run this through the logic chain again. Let's say hypothetically that a president is not impeached first, and then they prosecute a president for criminal acts. Some people have speculated as to whether or not Donald Trump could actually become president and be in jail. That's the point. So. She's actually saying she's pushing the idea, implying that a president could be found guilty of some horrific act, but not impeached. And then that criminal person could still be president from jail. That horrifically evil person who committed some crime could still run the military. No. The process would be removal from office first. And part of the other reason for that is all sorts of lame excuses could be uh, in the back of the minds of many different prosecutors all over the place, as we seem to see right now, to try to take out numerous types of presidents that they don't like. And what would happen? Well, of course, they'll see them go to jail and... They won't have any sort of. We're getting a phone call here. Um, one of my relatives is uh, is ill, so sorry. I'm just uh, uh, there's a phone ringing. Uh, he's he's an elderly uh, um, uh, brother of my mom, so I'm hoping he's he's okay. But um, anyway, okay. So I think you get the drift on that, and I don't want to uh, sell you short there, everybody. But it's it's really it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing to see that. Now, talk about criminal activity. Uh, I want to give you a couple real quick ones. Very, very quick. If you go to my Twitter feed, you'll see this. Um, Might have to switch a couple things over. I wanted to talk about immigration today, but I might have to do that tomorrow. And yeah, let me just uh, show you real quick. uh, Talk about criminal activity. Uh, There's... Something that you might find worthwhile. And I want to give you another good, quick theme. So let me go with, uh, yeah, this will be a good one. Uh, yes. Okay. Going to go back. There's going to be some swearing in this one, my friends. So we got to be super duper careful. And let me get the volume up here for you. Ah, yes. Again, from New Hampshire to you, here are Gigi Allen and the Jabbers. We're going to talk about the jabs a little more. Well, you hate me and I 
never understand the things I say I do So what's new? You never like me, so I say fuck you You know, you know that you don't like me, I don't like you You never listen to my point of view I'm telling you, why don't you all drop dead, you fucking fool It's you who lose, you never wanted me, so I say fuck you You know, you know that you don't like those I so fucking you all right, my friends. All right. Well, maybe that goes out to Anthony Fauci and his absolute hatred of anybody who wants to be free. It seems like that's the case. But let's now turn to some very good information from the good people at APUC Times. And uh, I'll give you this headline real quick first. A Vigilant Fox retweeted this one. Wow. Scientists are now warning. And we heard some about this, that the latest COVID variant Oh, here we go. Yes, indeed. Scientists are now warning that the latest COVID variant could trigger a heart failure pandemic, pandemic, pandemic. And get this, Pfizer, the same company that sold you the so-called vaccines, is making a big bet on that heart failure pandemic. The pharmaceutical giant recently acquired several companies. This includes a major $6.7 billion cash acquisition of Arena Pharmaceuticals, a firm specializing in developing treatments, particularly for heart inflammation conditions like myocarditis and pericarditis. So the company that caused the heart damage is now looking to profit from heart damage. Is my analysis wrong here? Well, let's go to Epic in, in terms of the latest variant, scientists are sounding a new alarm and warning people that the latest variant of COVID might lead to a global heart failure pandemic. Meaning that if all of a sudden you see people falling left and right due to heart failure, well, it's definitely not what you think it is. It's actually the latest variant of COVID-19. Now, to give you a bit of background here, the latest prevalent strain of COVID to be spreading across the world is called JN1. This new variant has led to an influx of cases in several different countries, including right here in America, the UK, in China, in India, in Australia, and several others as well. And indeed, here in America, this new variant has become the dominant strain. In fact, according to the CDC's tracking of wastewater, quote, JN1, the latest fast-spreading COVID version, is now the most widely circulating disease variant. An offspring of earlier Omicron variants, JN1 accounts for about 62% of current cases, up from 44% two weeks ago. That surge is. We also have to mention that they had the term Omicron in March of 2020. And of course, they're probably using a PCR test that cycles up whatever they want to produce. They can find anything they want. Seen domestically as tracked by wastewater levels, as well as international travelers and most places around the globe. Now, in terms of the symptoms for this new variant, they are pretty much the same as before. And they just mirror the seasonal flu, including things like sore throat, runny nose, coughing, headache, fever, diarrhea, and so on. Things like that. However, as I mentioned at the start of the episode, you now have health experts warning of an increased risk in the chance of potential heart issues for those who catch the new variant. Specifically, this warning came in the form of a report that was issued by Japan's top research institute. And they stated that the ACE2 receptors that the coronavirus clings to within human cells are very common in the heart muscle, meaning that many people who catch the new variant of the virus may suffer from reduced cardiac function. Here's what the report read, quote, even though conclusive clinical evidence that persistent SARS-CoV-2 infection is associated with declined cardiac function has not been reported so far, 
the proof of concept study of the possibility of SARS-CoV-2 persistent infection of the heart and the potential risk of opportunistic progression of heart failure should be validated by a three-dimensional human cardiac tissue model, which would serve as the alarm bell for a global healthcare risk. And in terms of how this research was actually conducted, quote, the research team first created heart tissue using induced pluripotent stem cells. When a large amount of the virus was made to infect the tissue, cardiac function declined and did not recover. When 10% of the previous amount infected the tissue, a certain level of cardiac function remained, but the infection persisted for four weeks. Researchers say it's possible that some patients won't develop heart failure even if the infection persists. Furthermore, when cardiac tissue was placed under hypoxic conditions to reduce cardiac function, uninfected cells recovered after a certain time, but cells that remained infected with a small amount of virus did not recover. It appears that their recovery ability was weakened by persistent infection. A research. Okay, so let's just pause it here. <clears throat> I don't believe them. <laughs> and uh, I think that as you get into this, they're highly skeptical as well. But I, I just want to cut right to the chase, as they would say in movie terms. Um, we know very clearly uh, the greatest connection to heart problems and the strongest temporally correlated problem that arose were heart problems uh, coming just after the introduction of the mRNA jabs. And we know that it causes myocarditis and pericarditis. So now, of course, they're going to try to wash things away and claim that it's due to the viral infection. Utterly ridiculous. Utterly ridiculous. But that's what you get. And, of course, Glenn Jacobs, if you go to Glenn Jacobs' Twitter feed, Glenn posted this. According to the experts, the number one risk to society is misinformation, as the government hands that out to us over and over again. Meanwhile, war is way down at number five. I think we need new so-called experts. And there you go. Misinformation, disinformation. According to what took this? Oh, that was the World Economic Forum putting that out. They're concerned most with misinformation and disinformation, that you won't follow the science, science, science of Anthony Fauci, Fauci, Fauci. Ah, <laughs> awesome. This is Liberty Conspiracy on Free Talk Live. Find us every Monday through Friday on Rockfin, Rumble, and Twitter starting 6 p.m. Eastern Time, live. This is Mark Edge with Free Talk Live. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com is one of the best real estate agents I've ever worked with. I've been through about two dozen real estate transactions in my life, and I feel like I know what I'm doing, but there's always the things that you don't know that you don't know. Mark Warden with PorcupineRealEstate.com found a problem with the house that I was buying that ultimately saved me $65,000. He's a consummate professional, holds his people to his own high standards, and I would unequivocally recommend him for any real estate purchase in New Hampshire. Don't sell yourself short. Contact porcupinerealestate.com. 